Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me on the Quickie Podcast. It is episode four, and I am your host, Dave Hopkins. Uh, A little bit about me. I enjoy a cocktail, a good cocktail. I enjoy drinks and fancy drinks and things that, uh, you know, require some skill to shake up and mix up. I enjoy that. I enjoy a little bit of of liquor now and then. Um, So today's interview is with Scott Wetzel from Fresh Bread Design. I really enjoyed this interview, and I gave the little bit of intro about the cocktails because Scott and Fresh Bread Design specializes in luxury packaging for high-end spirits and alcoholic beverages, primarily. Um, Really enjoyed chatting with him. Him and his wife also own a pub and are from Snohomish, Washington. And uh, I got to chat with him while the pub was, uh, was closed, just getting ready to open up, so yeah, it's really, really fun chatting with him. I hope you enjoy this interview, and let's get to it. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a quickie? Scott, thank you very much for joining me on the Quickie Podcast. Uh, Everyone, this is Scott Wetzel from Fresh Bread Design. Uh, Scott, are you ready for a quickie? Yeah, <laughs> usually. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> awesome. That's great. So uh, tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, I am a creative director at Fresh Bread Design, uh, which is which is more like a, a collaborative effort than it is a, a, a standard studio. Um, but we, uh, we do package design and brand identity for... Uh, mostly distilled spirits. Um, probably about ninety percent of what we do is distilled spirits, um, and then we we do some beer and wine in there as well, um, and coffee, and then just a, a smattering of other things. But primarily for the beverage industry, and and a little bit of specialty foods here and there. Very cool. So, what was your what was your childhood like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood, and what made it so? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, so I grew up in North Dakota and South Dakota, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of split time between the two states, um, which isn't, um, which isn't a spot where people are, are really into the arts as much. Um, not really a creative hub. No, it's not a creative hub. I, you know, where I went to college actually kind of is. I went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, at a university there, and and Sioux Falls has a really, really thriving creative, um, creative scene there, but. Um, but growing up, growing up, uh, I, I always drew. I was always a drawer. I was always doodling. I was always making up characters. I was making cartoons. I was trying to draw wildlife. Um, whatever, what, whenever I had paper in my hand, I was drawing, and I, I still do. Um, you know, and my parents really encouraged me. I think uh, on the um, on the logistics of it. You know, they would say, "Hey." Uh, I'd say, hey, does this look exactly like a deer to you, Dad? You know, trying to get a, a, a compliment. Dad would be like, not exactly like a deer. Like, you got to keep trying. Yeah, get which, back at it. Which, yeah, which, you know, killed my ego, but uh, <laughs> but also pushed me to, 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 to try harder. And so, um, but I was always, yeah, I, was, I would say I was always a creative kid, which, 
you know, in small towns in North Dakota and small towns in South Dakota um, kind of lends itself to a little bit, maybe being a little bit of the outcast. But uh, as I got older, I started to kind of find my, find my way in that. Um, but yeah, I was always, I was always creative, I think. Cool. So what do you think led you to becoming a graphic designer, a creative director? Uh, I wanted to use my degree. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I went to school and at some point changed my degree to fine arts um, uh, with an emphasis on drawing and sculpture, which is not, and my parents are pretty okay with it, but the rest of the family just didn't quite get it. Um, and at some point after working like eight years in retail, because I have an art degree, I, uh, I, I decided I wanted to do something with it. And um, so I quit my job at Blockbuster, which was probably a really good career move looking back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah now it's kind of a line in the sand. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and I was a manager. I was making pretty good money with bonuses, but I, I, I quit that and started looking for a job in the design industry, which is notoriously hard to get into when you have really zero any you know, agency or um, any type of real design experience, uh, especially I'm in the Pacific Northwest, especially out here. Uh, there's just nothing, uh, it, especially if you, if you have no experience. So I ended up uh, at a sign shop, actually, um, taking phone calls and doing some small design jobs here and there uh-huh. and just moved my way up the company. It was a pretty big sign shop. And I moved my way up eventually to a senior design position. Um, where I was doing a lot of custom custom work instead of template work. Yep. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, it was really it was really just a there's a point in my life where I just said I've got this degree. Everybody says I can't use it. There, there's got to be a way to use it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I got real gritty with it and just found found a way. So how did you how did you end up niching down into sort of that spirits the high end spirits world? Yeah. So I, at one point I was, the commute was killing me. Um, and my wife just said, why don't you, why don't you try freelancing full time? So I literally quit my job with no clients. I had, I had one client, my sister, my sister was my client. She had a small marketing company that she shut down a month after I started freelancing. Mm-hmm. So perfect timing. That was, yeah, really good timing. And so, um, so I was just knocking on every door, like insurance companies and, you know, small spas and whatever, like just stuff that I didn't know anything about and uh, just trying to pay my, pay my mortgage. And uh, at one point I sat down with a designer who is a, um, uh, she, she actually makes handmade wedding invitations. Wow. And she, she sat down with me and we were, we were trying, I was like, Hey, how do you do this? And she goes, do what you love. And, uh, and I said, well, I, at the time I played music, I said, I don't, I know there's no money in music. I just know I can't make album covers and posters and t-shirts for people and survive. And she goes, well, I know, I know you really like good booze. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, I do. And she goes, at the time there's, I think 12, uh, distilleries in Washington. Now there's 120 some, but at the time it was nuts. Uh, at the time it was it was just a year, maybe two years after it became legal in Washington to own a distillery. So I called every one of them and one of them said, Hey, we can use a, a poster. And I went down, I did a poster for them and eventually moved into doing a repack for them. Unfortunately, they decided there wasn't enough money in distilling. So they um, uh, went separate ways, but they, they gave me the first chance. It was the first time I worked with the TTB. Uh, it was the first time that I got 
major rejections from the TTB. It was the first time I had um, really like researched target markets. Uh-huh. I'd never researched that before. Um, it was the first time I actually like when I started doing that package design, it was like my creative nature and my narcissism clicked together really well to be like, Oh, Hey, I can manipulate the market. Oh, and okay. uh, and it, that sounds really odd, but there's like this thing where I go, Hey, I can ha- I can control somebody. Um, and I can use my art to do it. And that was, that was it. That's what laid you down there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now it's so niche and the fact that there are target markets and the markets are, are kind of different and the market's sh- sort of shifting and there's, there's legal, especially in the United States, there's legal implications. Actually in every country, there's legal implications and understanding those legal implications and understanding the laws and understanding like how you can use your design to hit the target market while still following the laws that each country has um, is a really fun challenge to me. That's great. Um, so take us back to when you first started noticing design in the wild. What did you start seeing? I, you know, I love old design. If you look at my website, um, there's lots of scroll work, a lot of um, kind of throwback hand lettering and, and really intricate letters and textures and, and distressing. And I love walking into um, old Victorian houses and checking out the, um, the doorknobs or um, walking down the street and finding scroll work in the corner of, of a door of a door jam. Yeah. Um, and that's the stuff that just, and the nature too, like how a leaf moves, like the swirl in a, a leaf or, or how a wave moves and just sort of capturing that movement and scroll work is just, there's, there's something really amazing in how, how nature, um, Inspired. And I'm not like a nature guy either. Like I'm not the kind of, I hate camping. I hate, <laughs> I'm not the outdoor type and I don't, I, I don't really, but I love to see, like if I'm walking outside, I'll see the way that the, the branches move together. And that really will inspire movement at times to me. It's like, Oh, look at the shape that that branch makes. And that'll inspire something. Um, but really, and I, but I think that's how a lot of the old design was, was inspired too. And so maybe that's where it connects with me. Very cool. So what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Are there something you've seen or something you've been a part of? Um, as far as, as far as seen really any, any old bottles, like I old bottles and cigar boxes. That's what, that's the most influential thing to me. If I go into an antique store, I live in a town that's like all antique stores. We're known for antique stores. If I go into an antique store, I immediately look for vintage cigar boxes and tobacco tins. That's the most influential design to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that's what you mean by that question, but can mean whatever I, you want it to mean. <laughs> wow. How postmodern. <laughs> I, I, but I, I love, love, love old tobacco tins and, and, uh, and cigar boxes. The artwork on those things, a lot, most of the time are just phenomenal. And the way that the lettering works together and it's just that I think is probably the most influential design thing to me. Um, as far as being a part of, um, I've just been a part of a lot of things that were influential, but I don't, 
I don't think that there's anything that I'm like, oh, hey, this would be the thing. I would say that the thing that probably launched my the way that I work more than anything else, as far as designs that I've done, is um, my work with Temple Distilling. Huh? And uh, Chapter One Gin was the first thing that we we did for them, and and they were a startup. They hadn't they hadn't opened. They didn't even have their TTB license yet in the states, and. Um, uh, for some reason, there was something with them and where I was in my business in that moment that allowed me to sort of open up. And, and I think a lot of it was they were at a place where they just needed to hand it over to somebody that they trusted and let them work. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I feel like I was able to design without somebody holding my hand. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know if I was at a place in my life where I just had just enough confidence to convince somebody of that. And somebody was at a place where they were so overwhelmed with everything else that they were willing to give me a shot. Um, or if I just tricked them, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I also had a feeling that they were going to make really good stuff. Like I, there was just something about them. And I looked at them and I was like, I think I can make you guys successful. And they're like, because you have good stuff and I think I can do that. And, and they just allowed me to go for it. And it was the first time that I really dug deep and really, I started working with the printers on the embellishments and working like hand in hand with the printer to talk about like what could be done. And when they told me something could be done, it was the first time I told the printer, no, it can be done. We're going to figure out how to do it. And it was the first time I was like, I was like super confident in a project. Yeah. And, and so I think that was like a, like an influential project for me, just in the fact that I believed in myself at that moment. And I had somebody believing in me in that moment. That is great. Just a symbiotic relationship. Um, I've had more since then, obviously that was the first time that I went, I went, Hey, they believe in me. I believe in me. We, we can do this. To always remember you first. Always. Yeah. I, I've done lots of projects before that, but there was just this, like, it was almost like my brain just said, Hey, you got this. And, and I did it. Nailed it. I nailed it. And it's been, it's, you know, it's been fun. Ever since. Not every project is successful after that. Um, to that degree mm-hmm. and not everybody trusts you to that degree, not even close, but I have the confidence to say, Hey, you, you probably should trust me on this. That's great. So social media has, do you feel social media has changed uh, graphic design or the process of design? And is that beneficial or harmful? It's beneficial and harmful. It's beneficial in the fact that I believe it's a lot easier to, not easier, more opportunities to work globally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe, without link, like LinkedIn is a gold mine. Without LinkedIn, I, would, I wouldn't have uh, clients in Kentucky and clients in North Carolina and clients in Florida and clients in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, I wouldn't have those opportunities. Um, so, so that's a huge thing. I think that probably the biggest detriment is that it somehow has convinced, and it's probably because there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of sourcing, like crowdsourcing and, and whatever art sourcing programs or, or websites there are now. I, I think it's convinced a lot of startups that you don't need a lot of capital 
to get good design. And the reality is you, you might be able to get good design, but you're not going to get targeted intentional design that way. And, uh, well, we're and so, and yeah, so you'll get somebody that's got maybe a cool label, but it, it might not be as targeted as it should have been, or they didn't work with the printer. So it didn't come out, you know, the other end right or correctly, or it's inconsistent or, you know, or, they want to make t-shirts and it wasn't vector or, you know, whatever. And so they, they couldn't have that conversation. So yeah, they paid a thousand dollars for a label, but now they've got to pay somebody thousands of dollars for this and that and this and that. And then five years down the road, they never talked about their five year plan five years down the road. That's not where they really want to be. So now they're paying somebody like me, you know, 30 to $50,000 to fix it. Mm-hmm. And they've lost, sure. all, and they've lost all their brand equity. Yep. And so I think that's the biggest is just convincing people, hey, you don't have to start out good. You just have to start out, which I, I guess is fine. But you really lose a lot of brand equity that way. Hmm. So who is a designer or brand that you look up to or closely follow? And what do you, what do you like about them? You know, um, that's a good question. Stranger and Stranger is a big one. Um, I just like how they're always innovating. Um, I don't always like their des- their designs don't always click with me, but I know that their designs are really intentional and they work really closely with like understanding the target market and they so they do things very intentionally um, and I like that and I and I and I do like most of what they put out. Um, I hope that doesn't sound like I was bashing them. There's a bug here that's just like running out of nowhere, but um, I hope that I'm not bashing them at all. I'm just saying that there's. With, like with any, there's designs I do that don't click with me, yep. but they shouldn't click with me. They should click with the target our audience. And I feel like Stranger and Stranger does that really, really well. Um, and so I follow them really closely. Um, Chad Michael Studios, I, I follow him, Chad Michael, just really, really closely. I love his stuff. Um, David Cole. Um, David Cole actually is around here. He's actually a, a, a friend. And so... Um, you know, we'll, we'll meet up every once in a while and, and have a cocktail and, and, uh, talk life and hardships and, and celebrate one another's, you know, experiences and stuff. So, um, which is great, which is great to have in that field, uh, especially since Dave is doing such big things, mm-hmm. um, uh, to have that understanding that, Hey, you know, everybody goes through the same trials. Definitely. You know? Definitely. So how can design make a difference in people's lives? Oh, it brings richness to people's lives um, in the same way that art and music do, right? Well, I mean, design is art, but it's also psychology. Um, but I mean, wa- imagine walking down the store. Your shopping experience is so much better with design. And I'm talking about this from a package design perspective, but yeah. Your shopping experience would be terrible without design. Now, I admit that there's a lot of market manipulation, so you're being manipulated at the same time. Um, you know, all of us are, and uh, and I love the manipulation factor, like on my end. Um, but I also realize I'm being manipulated. I'm probably easy, more easily manipulated than anybody else. Um, but it br- brings a richness to it. I mean, imagine walking through a store and every item had a white label that had a ha- handwritten on it. What it was bread. That's all I would say. It wouldn't even have a name on it. Design. Like part of it is like part of design is like finding a name for your product. Yeah. So you're just like bread. 
You know, it's not, how was his name? Prison Dave. What's that guy's name? <laughs> the guy that, that was like the ex-con or whatever that did the bread. Like he's got this like marketing with like like this ex-con on it. It's all tough and stuff. You walk by and it would just say bread. Like how would you know that you wanted to buy that? And That's- so it just brings this richness to your, your, your experience everywhere you go. Like everywhere you go, you see design. You don't even understand it. Um, you walk by, like I talked about, you walk by and you see a doorknob that's an old doorknob and you look at it and you're like, how beautiful is this home? Look at the details in this home without design. You wouldn't have that. Yeah. You would have just a, a rock <laughs> like, like there and you, you know, or a, or a piece of a tree because the knob wouldn't even be round because people wouldn't try to make it pretty. And I mean, design just brings richness to every aspect of our lives. Ah, really well um, said. That's really well said. Brings richness to people's lives. So how do you gauge if your designs are resonating with their intended audience? Oh, man. So um, before or after it's released, that's, that, those, are big, those are big questions, right? Um, there's a lot of risk in design, mm-hmm. and I don't downplay that. When I talk with a client, uh, I'm confident, but I'm also really honest. Like, people go, are you sure this is going to work? I'm 99% sure, but there's a 1% chance right now that I am blowing smoke up your skirt and you are going to, this is going to be a failure. Um, how do I know that it's, how do I gauge that it's successful? I think I've worked with enough companies now before, um, that before it goes out, I have an understanding of what the target market's going to be and how that's, how it's going to draw people in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really successful, but I, I've just been doing it. So experience is part of it. Um, doing some, doing, uh, sending out, uh, questionnaires to people, people that you trust, um, or strangers and just saying, Hey, I know that you are, Hey, I know that you are a distributor. Like, what are the things that you would want to see in this to sell to your restaurants? Mm-hmm. What are the things that would, or send it to bartenders and say, Hey, what are the thing I've got five or six bartenders that I really trust. Send it over to them. Hey, what are the things with this particular spirit that people are like, you know, like spirits I don't do much with. I, I don't do a lot with Amari yet. Like I've done a couple, but I haven't done a lot of Amari. Like what are people looking for in Amari? What, what are people, what, who are the people that are, who are buying Amari? Who are people that are buying the cocktails with Amari? Like describe them. What are the, what's the socioeconomics? Um, what, you know, what are the, what are the major tender? What are the age groups? What all those things? Cause all those things play into it. Um, how do I gauge if it's successful or not? Um, whether or not people buy it, yep. um, you know, whether or not distributors are pushing it. Uh, distributors push on two things: they push on how good the juice is, and they push on 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 whether or not it can sell off the shelf. Those are the two things that they really gauge off of. Juice is number one. Um, the consumer, the juice isn't the number one thing. You just have to trick somebody into believing it is, and. Um, so, you know, if, if it sells really well, if they have, if, if I have a client who has no issues getting into distribution and they have no, then they have, they say nothing about the design. You know, if they don't say anything about the design, it's probably good. Um, and so, uh, because they'll be able to sell it. If there's an issue with it, they'll say, they'll be like, Hey, we can't, we can't sell this. It's the classic. No news is good news. No news is good news. So, um, is it selling? Is it distri- are distributors picking it up? 
Um, those, are, I mean, those are obviously, especially in package design. Uh, it's harder when you're doing like catalog design to understand when it's successful. Yeah. But, uh, but monetarily, if we're doing a repack, man, the first repack I ever did, the first, the pr first label design I ever did was a repack, and it uh, was um, they had they released it the the in the three weeks that they released it, like the first release, they had a 30% uptick in sales. Wow. Good for them. That's great. And that, that's a pretty good sign that you're being, that you, what you've done is successful. It's a pretty good sign. It's resonating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So take us to a uh, design or a project that you were a part mm -hmm. of that did not go well or bring the desired result. And what was that like? Oh man. I mean, Designers tend to be fairly like, if, especially if they have a background in art. You know, there's like cold designers, and then there's sensitive designers. There's like the artists, and then there's the the money grubbing capitalist pigs. And we all become the money grubbing capitalist pigs at some point. Like, don't get me wrong, like I am, but first and foremost, I'm a, like a oversensitive artist. Um, I had a design that I had a client who um, would not take no for an answer. They wanted something really, really bad. They wanted its icon on, on the label. And uh, I kept trying to like, kind of, I was like, I don't know, like, here's some other options. And I sent them all the options and they just really wanted the specific icon. So we went with it. They had their hearts set on that clip art of the guy mowing the lawn. And that's yeah. what they wanted. Yeah. And you're really like, you're actually closer than you think. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was a blowing one, but yeah, and so it was, but you're very close, oddly enough, uh, but I won't say too much what it is. Anyway, so they, they, we'll just say it. And so, uh, you know, they, uh, it wasn't a clip art, but it was custom. I don't, I don't use clip art. I do everything custom. Like mm -hmm. it's, and, but they wanted this icon. So I did this custom, I did a bunch of research and I found old photos and I, and I sort of used a bunch of pieces of the old photos to kind of create this icon, send it over to them. They're like, yeah, we go and we get it printed and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I put it on LinkedIn and somebody goes, Hey, that looks like X, Y, Z. And I was like, huh? And I look up this other product that had been released two months before my clients had. So obviously I didn't know anything about this because we were in TTB when this thing was released. So we had already designed the thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, they didn't steal it either. It was just happened to have the same content in an icon. Theirs was obviously like a clip art that had been purchased um, and mine was custom and they were, they were different and the colors were way different and how it was laid out and everything was way different, but they got a cease and desist from this company. Oh no. And somehow it came back on me oh. that, that you were the designer. You should have not done that. And I was like, and I had cut them a bunch of deals to get the project. And so I, I was undersold anyway on it. And um, there was red flags starting. I mean, there's red flags everywhere on this thing. And I walked away. Um, from it, we were in the middle of a project that they cut, and I said, "Hey, well, this is what the contract says. I want X, Y, Z for this other project that you guys are backing out of, and they uh, they wouldn't pay it. It wasn't enough for me to go after them on, and so I lost a bunch of money on it. And it was lesson learned. But um, oh, the saying, yeah, the saying that I heard was that the you know a designer 
has their terms and conditions page in their contract from experiencing each of those pain points and mm-hmm. wanting to yeah. mitigate the risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they are, um, that's a hundred percent right. And they, you know, and, and I get it. Like those people are putting money into it. And when you're the problem, I think I had in that, in that project was I hadn't prepared them enough to be emotionally divested from their design. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things a designer can do in the, in, when they're starting out is in one way or another, get your client to be emotionally divested from their design because artwork in general is an emotional thing. And, um, and so people come in they're like, Oh, I want my story and you want their story, but if their story doesn't resonate with the target, then you've got to remove their story from it. And you've got to find a story that resonates with the target. And I didn't do that very well with them. Mm -hmm. And, it was a really good lesson in that. But I mean, I was tore up. I was like, people are going to think that I'm a thief. People are going to think that I stole people's artwork. And that's, that's a, like, for me, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, man. That's my reputation. That's my reputation. But there's also the reality that there's nothing new under the sun. And I look at, and, and I am influenced by everything that I look at. And in, you know, the other day I saw something from somebody that, um, makes really great artwork. And I was like, Oh, Hey, that kind of looks like X, Y, Z that I did that hasn't been released yet, but we were probably just inspired by similar places and nobody would set our side by side and, and be like, Hey, you guys did the same thing. There was just an element in that particular design that I looked at and I went, Hey, that looks like something I would do and something that I have coming out soon. Maybe, just maybe we were influenced by the same people or maybe he was somehow influenced by me in the past mm-hmm. and, and that came out. I, I don't know, but all I know is there's nothing new under the sun and there's always going to be this chance that you create something that might look similar to somebody else's, no matter how hard you try not to. Yep. Uh, well said. So what piece of advice would you offer to new design grads looking to make their mark in the industry? Oh, uh, don't undersell yourself. Um, but don't oversell yourself. Like under, like define your expectations. Um, I undersold myself for like two years. Mm-hmm. One of that is because the design, the design field is so notoriously ambiguous about what they charge. Like people just don't talk about what they're charging per project. Mm-hmm. I could go to like, I like you kind of get an understanding of what the plumbers in your town are charging at some point. Right. Like if you have to use a plumber and other plumbers kind of know what other plumbers are charging and, and you charge based on experience and, and stuff. But man, I, I came out, I think I was charging like $250 to do a logo and I was doing like $500 for a label. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're, you know, when you're trying to pay your mortgage and bills, you know, you're looking at, you need a lot of labels. Project, yeah. 10 new projects a month just to break even, you know, maybe break even. Yeah. And, and that's every month you can't like pulling in 10 projects a month. That's ridiculous. And it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Like you're working a hundred hours a week at that point. And so, um, I, like, Look at look at what it costs to live, 
And when you're starting out, you know, don't don't try to be stranger and stranger. Don't don't charge what they're charging. Don't charge what the big firms are, especially if you're freelancing. Like you don't have to do that. That's the beauty in it. Like you just need to make sure that you're paying your bills. Um, so don't undersell undersell yourself, and then be confident in what you do. Like if you know what you're doing, then tell the people that you know that you know what you're doing. Don't be cocky about it, but be confident about it. You know, somebody goes, why should I hire you? Tell them why, you you know, don't don't look down at your shoes and say, well, I think I can. If you know you can do it, just say, this is what I do. Um, also have a really stellar portfolio out of the gate. Like, make your portfolio look better than you actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and, then, and then grow to it. And I'm going to give a lot of advice. Always, <laughs> Perfect. And always grow. Like, you are never as good as you think you are. Always grow. Always get better. Look at what people who are better than you are doing and try to do that. Not, not copy them, but try to do what, do that. Like reach those goals. Sketch, draw, whatever you need to do. Learn new processes. Like just learn to be better than you were yesterday. Yeah. That's a good answer. I like that. So what's what's next in graphic design? Do you see any emerging trends? Anything going on there? Um, I see a lot of trends I don't like. <laughs> um, <laughs> the whole like minimalist trend. I mean now now I've got minimalism in my Netflix. Like seriously, minimalism. Let's stop. Like I don't need to throw everything away. Yeah. Things um, <laughs> to be said for having a little bit of of. Um, just like sentiment, right? Like there's something to be said for that. And so anyway, the, the, this trend towards like, we're going to have everything in black and white with Helvetica or some like form of Helvetica or maybe square light. And we're going to stretch it across everything. And everything is going to look like a beauty product. Not like, I don't want my whiskey to look like a beauty product. I want it to look like it's worth $150 if I spend $150 on it. Um, maybe that, maybe that excommunicates me from some circles and that's okay. But, um, but man, there's something to be said for having just holding that value to something. So that's the trend right now. Trend right now. I thought by now that trend would end, but with what's her name, Marie Condi or, or whatever, um, it seems like it's just going to keep going. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the trend. And, and I feel like that's what they're teaching every, like every young designer that comes out now, it's like, are you, Hey, you're really good with Helvetica right now. Like, but what can you do beyond that? Uh-huh. Um, I can do that. I don't like to, it's, it's boring to me. It's cold. Like I want warmth. I want like add, add a touch of yellow to the white. You know, like I need that in my life. Um, <laughs> so that's that's the trend. Um, but the thing about it is, I I don't think that these kind of heritage-looking brands will ever go away. Mm-hmm. Um, they might clean them up a little bit, but I don't think that's ever going to go. Like classic, classic is always there. What is, what is it? Um, Shad, the hip hop artist, he says, um, classic is classic till it's fashion again. You know, and it's like classic design's always going to exist. And so I'm going to just hang out there and create 
beautiful, intricate designs because there's always going to be a market for that. It makes you sing, so stay there. Yeah. So what is one design product, tool, website, or even a community that you just could, could not live without? Um, well, obviously Illustrator. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big one. Um, literally, m- pencil and paper. I could not live. If somebody said, we need you to design, but I'm going to hand you an electronic tablet that you have to sketch on, um, I would go crazy. Mm-hmm. Really would. Um, I need the tactile experience of and the sound of pencil on paper. Um, I've got to have it. So that's like my that's my number one tool. I will go and sit in a in a bar in a back corner um, to get out of my office at one o'clock in the afternoon and um, have a couple of pints or a whiskey and soda and. Uh, sit there for like three hours and sketch out like, like 30 pages for a quarter inch scroll in a corner of, of project. Um, because it, uh, the details matter to me so, so much. Mm-hmm. And they, and I believe everybody subliminally catches, catches that. And I'll do like 30 pages of this just to get it right. Um, so yeah, that's like the thing for me. Um, that's my number one tool. Um, and then as like, and then actually like business websites too, like freelancing websites that, that give you business tips. Those are a big thing for me, just because I'm running a business as well, and that's not my not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a you know I think um, I can't remember. I've got them bookmarked, so I don't even remember which ones they are anymore. <laughs> but there's like two or three websites that I go to just for freelancing business tips, even though I kind of consider it more of a studio, um, I contract people out. I don't have employees. So, um, so it still kind of stands. Um, my business is me. Um, but yeah, really pencil and paper. I know that sounds, I know I sound like an old man, don't I? Like these kids with their Helvetica, not, they don't need no paper and pencil. You're living, but, uh, you're living in the classic land, just like you said. So stay there. I just, I, there's something about experience that matters to me and sitting in a bar by myself with a sketch pad, um, just creates an experience and the feeling of pen, pencil to paper creates an experience that I can't recreate digitally to start. Yeah. It goes to digital, but to start, I cannot do it. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's a great answer. Um, Scott, I'm going to call it there. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciated the chat. This is uh, Dave hopping back on at the end of the podcast here. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Scott from Fresh Bread Design. Definitely go check him out on Instagram. He's got some great photography of the designs and products that he has done and worked on. And I hope you have a great day.